Hello, Michelle Laurie here. It's no secret that Australia's property market is out of control these days, but I, for one, can't seem to stop following along. I've become a bit obsessed with it, to be honest. What's up, what's down, and who on earth is paying those prices for those houses? So I want to personally recommend a podcast for you. It's called Real Property. It'll keep you across the latest information on the Australian property market in a clear and easy-to-digest way. Real Property, building a community of more informed property buyers. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Get ahead of of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program this is a true crime podcast as the title suggests so please consider this your warning that it's not suitable for children and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. I just spoke to a lady for an upcoming episode of Australian True Crime who told me that her clothing once tested positive for methamphetamine when she was screened in the visitors' area of an Australian prison. She protested, saying she'd never even seen meth, and the guard asked her if she'd stopped anywhere on the long drive, like a service station, for example. Because if she had, she'd probably just picked it up on her jumper or something. He advised her to always wash her clothes and her hair the night before a visit and never stop anywhere between her home and the prison to avoid picking up traces of meth. And it's not just lying around our servos. There's a fair bit of it in our sewer system as well. A body called the Sewage Core Group Europe regularly tests the drug content of the wastewater of 26 countries, including Australia, to determine where the highest consumption of various drugs is concentrated per capita. As of February 2023, we Australians were the third highest consumers of meth on the list. Irish journalist Connor Woodman, he's become a bit fixated on our meth habit and he's written a book about it called Meth Road. It's a pretty startling account of where Australia's ice comes from. We begin this conversation with Connor explaining why meth isn't cooked locally anymore. 
I think there was a lot of methamphetamine being cooked in Australia, which you know made it easier for the distribution gangs, who are mainly bikey gangs, to control the supply and then control the distribution and keep all the money themselves. But I think as the Australian government started to come down on the importation of the chemicals you need to make methamphetamine, the precursors, it became a risky business when you need 10 kilograms of precursor to make one kilogram of meth. You just think about where the risks are in getting caught on the importation. It's a lot easier to import one kilogram than 10 kilograms. So I think the bikey gangs came to the conclusion of, well, it's going to be easier just to import the, the meth rather than import all the precursors. The bikey gangs, the distributors, the dealers in Australia are, are no longer sourcing most of their meth from stuff that's cooked in country. It's being brought in from outside of the country. For a long time, that was China, but the Chinese cleaned up their act kind of 2014, 2015, 2016. They just took apart all of the meth labs in southern China that were, that were flooding the region. Bad for business, bad for China's reputation. You know, once China decided doesn't want something anymore. It's very effective at stamping it out. But there were very few arrests made. What happened instead was that most of the the meth cooks and the producing gangs in China were just encouraged to go elsewhere. Go somewhere where it's not going to impact on China's reputation. Hence the border region along the western border of China and the eastern border of Myanmar or what we used to call Burma just became an option for those guys. And then when you look at the political situation within Burma or Myanmar. So Myanmar is, is split up into kind of ethnic sort of tribal groups of which there are many, and each one controls its own little patch of land. And they've never really gelled. You've got a country that got really messed up, would you believe it, by British colonialism. But me being me, I think, felt like it was a really good story I didn't know much about. I felt like it wasn't being talked about very much. Where was Wa? Where was Chan State? Who were these people that are cooking meth in the jungle? And who's buying that meth? These are the questions that started going on in my head. If I can get in and find out more about that story and no one else is doing it, then let's go. So I packed my bags, booked a flight, and flew over and got myself over the border into Shan State and start, started asking some questions. The big lab that I ended up seeing, well, I wasn't allowed to actually go in, but I could, the guy, my translator was allowed to go in with his phone and film it and come out and show it to me. And I was, I can ask questions that way. But um, I expected to find people, you know, standing over open pots, you know, of noxious chemicals, stirring them with sticks. That was not, that's not what I found at all. I mean, it, we're talking about in sophisticated industrial machinery because you're right next to China where all this stuff's getting, of getting made. Of it yeah. was, you know, it was like a NASA lab in a jungle. It was like, you know, brand new sort of stainless steel chrome machinery with pipes and all runoff generators. And it's kind of outdoors. So it's under a canopy in the jungle. So there's no noxious, noxious fumes because you're kind of outside. Um, it stinks. Like the, you can smell, even from a distance where I was, you can smell the, the chemicals around. And people, when they sign up to go and work there, you're kind of on a 12-month contract and you can't leave. That's how they guarantee secrecy. But people were quite highly trained. This is what you do. This is your job. You're going to put these things in here. And everything is run like an industrial laboratory, churning out you know, 
tens, hundreds of kilos of, of, of meth every, every week, every month. And these are, these are all the way along the southern Thai border and wow. all the way up the Chinese border. And we're, we're talking about like hundreds of laps because, you know, I think it was $50 billion was the estimate that the, the United Nations, the UNODC, put on Myanmar's meth output in 2022, which $50 billion? You know, that's, that's kind of bigger than the country's GDP. That's extraordinary. And how much of it kicks back to the government is hard to know. Yeah, there's definitely... I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to believe that the that the army themselves are not, if not directly involved in in labs, they're certainly involved in taxing labs and helping distribution. So when you're setting up a new lab, the kind of what, one way that you can do this is you know you set up a new lab, you find an ethnic armed group, you go and approach them and you say, right, look, we want to set up a lab here on your land. We'll set up the lab. We'll produce X kilos of meth, you know, every year, and They'll say, okay, well, we'll take 10%, we'll take 15%, we'll take 20%. Once you get the green light and you get your patch of land where you'll be protected by this ethnic armed group, then, you know, you're, you're good to go. And often then a Taiwanese cook comes over, you know, he's the, he's the Walter White. He's the guy with the, with the knowledge. The equipment gets brought in, you set up this state of the art meth lab, and then you bring in 50 locals out of the jungle, and then you've got your workforce. And then off you go, the chemicals start coming in from China on the back of lorries and the ethnic armed group help you to take the finished meth as far as the Thai border or the, or the Lao border where you then, you know, engage with the local smuggling groups. And they, because their territory borders Thailand, it's easy to send, you know, loads of drugs over the Thai border. And they've got lots of mostly young men who will carry it over in backpacks. And let's talk about that briefly. Thailand of course, famously very hard on drugs. Thailand is a country where you can be hung for possession of heroin or, again, one of these great juxtapositions. Yeah, I mean, they'll just shoot. If the Thai DEA or they actually, the Thai have a, an army working alongside the DEA, they have the Palm Oil, who are an army unit dedicated to stopping drug smuggling. Um, they'll just shoot you dead. Let's say we've cooked 100 kilos of meth or 500 kilos of meth in Myanmar, and we know the big market for it is in Sydney. We've got a good relationship with a bikey gang down in Sydney. They're saying, right, you get it to us, we'll, we'll sell it. This is the price, great. I mean, cooking the meth is the easy part. And selling it's the easy part. And selling it's the easy part. It's everything in between that's tricky, yeah, because that's where you're going to get caught. What you have are kind of, again, ethnic groups in Thailand or Laos who will cover a certain patch for you so you quickly get into a network thing where okay where's your meth okay my meth's in Myanmar you know I've got these guys who just produced a ton of meth for me can you help me get it as far as Thailand yeah well we'll take it as far as this place there's a big casino on the border there called King's Romans which is kind of lawless this is a whole other issue we can get into but there's a few of these places kind of popping up now in Southeast Asia where a billionaire who's made his money in nefarious ways has leased land. So in this case, he's leased about 100 square kilometers from the Lao government and has built a casino there for Chinese gamblers to come over and gamble. And he has complete control over that land. So he has his own police force. He has his own fire fire brigade, his own laws. You know, you have to show your passport to get in and out of there. So effectively, yeah, it's his own kingdom. It's a, it's a, it's a fiefdom 
that he's been allowed you know and there's two more further up the, up the mekong river there but king's romans is a really big one and the smugglers that i spent time with was, was saying well that's a really important staging post so we'll, we'll do handovers we'll do warehousing they're like we can do warehousing so if you if you're producing a lot at the moment and you want to control the distribution into australia from there you can cook it all now while you've got that good relationship and we can warehouse it for you at King's Romans until you're ready to ship it to Australia. How does it get into Australia? It comes through the ports. Yeah. So, right. So you have to get it into Thailand. You have to get it into Malaysia. You have to get it to the big ports. Once you do that, then you've got big trade routes into Australia. So you'll see the busts at the ports in Sydney and Melbourne and you'll see 500 kilos of meth was hidden inside car speakers or bowls of chili sauce or you know anything that you're importing anything that you're importing can be turned into a vehicle for methamphetamine they are so inventive i've seen bottles of chili sauce where you can squeeze the bottle and the chili sauce comes out the top but the bottom 80 percent of the bottle is just a cavity for putting methamphetamine into you know and then you multiply that by ten thousand bottles that you're importing you know who's going to know it's, it's incredible. And that and that's why no matter how good the AFP intelligence is, no matter how good the border force are at, at stopping things, they're still catching less than 50% of what's coming in. So where do you think the bulk of that money goes to? Obviously, it's a very expensive endeavour to get it out of there. All of the Every guy who walks out with a backpack is expensive because he's risking his life. Every person who walks through Thailand with it, everyone who who goes there to make it and signs up for a year. And I mean, yes, it's an expensive endeavour, but it's not $50 billion expensive. So where does the bulk of that money go? Yeah, where does the bulk of Well, Sam Koru, one of the biggest distribution gangs, they they kind of cornered the market by saying to the, the bikey gangs in Australia, if we lose a shipment, we'll just send you another one. You pay us for a shipment, we'll guarantee it gets in. And if it gets, if it gets stopped by the AFP, we'll just send another one. So they've got that much money. I mean... That's like Amazon level delivery guarantees, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So they've got enough money to do that, but I, you know, there's still enough profit for for these guys to go and buy fiefdoms in in Laos. I would not be surprised if senior members of the Burmese army, as well as senior members of the other ethnic armed groups, have got um, Swiss bank accounts with a lot of zeros in them. I think with a lot of these things, you know, the guys at the top are getting very rich. And I don't think the guy carrying the backpack over the border into Thailand is, is getting paid very much. No. So you're up against it. I don't know I don't know if you can ever stop that. Yes, you can slow it down. And I would argue it's important to slow it down because I think slowing it down has an effect on the price on the street. And I think the price on the street has an effect on consumption. I think if a point of meth was $10, People with problematic use would do more of it. I would argue once it's on the street, forget about supply reduction. It's done. It's here, you know. And I think, I think a lot of money is spent on state police budgets, and I think the state police are not very effective. If you compare their busts dollar for dollar with the AFP, it's a bad use of money. When I started this book, I said at the beginning, you know, I'm happy to cop some flax. I'm an outsider, and people can say, well, go and stick to your own thing, but. I felt like as an outsider, I could come in with some fresh eyes. And I thought, well, the important question is, well, what does Australia want? Because what's been going on is not working. I think it's affecting a lot of families. I think a lot of families just don't know what to do. 
I was absolutely shocked when I went to Australia to see what a wild west situation the rehab industry is. I mean, certainly some of the rehabs that I visited and that I met and the people that were involved in the rehabilitation system in Australia were themselves ex-users. Yes, very common. Yeah. People and people people with lived experience play a, can play a very important part, but there didn't seem to be much vetting. Right. Of those people. I, met, I mean, I met some people that I found truly terrifying in their worldviews, um, but by virtue of the fact that they had once been a user, they were kind of being given responsibility for other people, vulnerable people in that situation to help start their recovery. And I thought, well, this is not sustainable. So I think some sort of maybe federally run, but certainly state run, organized, licensed, overseen rehabilitation program needs to be put in place. I, th- I think learning as a society to have more empathy for those people is what's going to help us because like even if you stopped the war in Myanmar you know Afghanistan is moving into methamphetamine production the Mexican cartel are already well into it with producing for the US and are always looking for ways to get into the Australian market it's going to come in from somewhere you know when you consider as i said you know a lot of these people are self-medicating the effects of some sort of abuse you know, whether that be physical, mental, sexual abuse that they experienced in their childhood, which again disproportionately affects people from lower socioeconomic groups. You know, you can understand why, you know, methamphetamine creates a dissociative state, which is, it's, you know, it's soothing to people that want to forget those painful memories. This goes right to the heart of who we are as a society. You know, meth is not causing these problems, meth is a symptom of these problems. And I think we should all bear that in mind when we try and find empathy for people that are taking meth. And I think, as I said, I think the media could do a better job of presenting this in a more honest way. The majority of meth users are, are not incredible hulks that they're going to tear your house down. You know, the majority of meth users are recreational users, but even the majority of problematic meth users are people who have, who have problems that we should empathize with rather than judge. Thank you to our guest today, Connor Woodman. His book, Meth Road, is available now and there's a link in the show notes to help you get your copy. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 92 76 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.